The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Built for Glory, Meeting God and Finding Freedom Through the Book of Exodus. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from the book of Exodus chapter 20 verse 1 through 21. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days... The Lord made heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning, and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear on him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord. Um, Let's pray. We'll get to the text. Father, we are thankful for this Sabbath day that you have given us, the Lord's day to remember who you are and what you've done It's a day that is meant to shape us in a profound way, a day that is meant to instruct us in the gospel and to to bring us into the the depths of the mystery of Christ and his gospel. And so I'm thankful for this opportunity today to open up your word, to hear from you. And so I ask, Father, that you would speak through me, that you would use my tongue and think through my mind, that that it would be all of you and none of me. I pray that that you would empower me to proclaim the truths of the gospel and how it pertains to our rest this morning, and that you would refresh us in that. Um, Father, I am a weak man. This is an area where I struggle with personally in, in finding my rest in you and finding rest in general. And so would you use me and my imperfections to, to, to proclaim the beauty and the truths of the gospel and, and the Sabbath day that you've laid out for us? I pray, Father, that the, the, my, the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. 
Well, we've been working our way through the Ten Commandments over the last, well, this is the fourth week here where we're going one commandment at a time and kind of digging into what it means, what, what each commandment really means, and kind of get into the heart of what the commandment means. And so today we'll be in the fourth commandment, and we've kind of talked about this um, already. We've seen that in our profession this morning. We talked about what is, the, what is the fourth commandment, and building that out, of course, it's about the Sabbath. And, and so some weeks... For me, the struggle is finding out what to say, and, and, and other weeks, the struggle is for me to decide what not to say. And this is one of those weeks where the struggle is for me finding out what not to say, because there's so much that could be said about the Sabbath. In fact, this is one of the topics that is most widely debated by theologians and Bible scholars. There's lots of differences of opinions and how the Sabbath actually affects our lives now as Christians. And so I want to spare you from all of that. And I really, what I, what I hope to do this morning is present to you a gospel-centered view of the Sabbath um, with with information that's pertinent to you, that's, that's practical in our daily routines and rhythms, and that really forms and shapes our worship for Jesus, all without compromising the fourth commandment. So what I want to do in order to kind of build out the framework for this, um, I, I just want to recap real quick where we've gone so far. So in the first commandment, what we've seen, God says that you shall have no other gods before me. What he's, what he's doing here is he is claiming the heart of his people, right? You should have no other gods. You should worship no one else but my God, Yahweh, okay? And so there's no room for any other gods. So he's claiming the heart. Now, the second thing he does with the second commandment is he claims our hands. He says, do not make any graven images. Do not make any idols. Do not, do not form anything with your hands as an expression of worship. And then in the third commandment, we see God, he, he's making claims on third commandment is your mouth, do not take the Lord's name in vain. And so what we see, he's claiming our heart, he's claiming our hands, he's claiming our, our tongues, our mouths, and how we use them. And now today, he's claiming really what is the most valuable resource that we have, and that is our time. And he says, six days you shall labor, and on the seventh day you shall rest. And for many of us, this is confrontational because our time is such a valuable resource to us. We love our time. We love to have control over our calendars. We love to have a say-so in what we do and when we do it. But what I want to show you today is that the fourth commandment is not just something that we should resist. Or I, I mean, I think that is kind of our natural sinful tendency is to kind of push back on this and say, who is God to say what, have say over my calendar? But really what I want you to see is that the fourth commandment is something that we should give ourselves to. And in giving ourselves to this commandment, there's a lot of blessing, there's a lot of grace, there's a lot of rest to be had. And this is why we should give, it, give ourselves to the commandment. Because when we go through our, our daily lives, we greet people, right? You say, hey, how you doing? We typically get two responses. The first response is good. And that's basically someone saying, you know, I don't want to talk about it. Or it's a cop out of actually having a conversation Whenever I get good, it's like, all right, nice talk. I guess we're done talking at this point, right? We use that good as a, a knee-jerk response. But another one that we get oftentimes is either someone says, I, I'm tired or, or I feel like I'm really busy. And, and I think that is pretty common. And, and it's something that, that when we answer that way, we actually feel this sort of weight. We feel this tiredness. We feel this weariness from our daily lives. And so... 
that, that tiredness might be referring to a physical tiredness where our bodies are just worn out. Maybe it's a, a relational, emotional tiredness from, from being relational beings that we have stuff going on in our lives with other people and we get worn out by relationships. Maybe it's a spiritual weariness where we feel uh, the grind of the Christian life is just so hard and so demanding on us that we feel worn out. And whatever the weariness is, it's... A reality. I think for all of us, we feel this. Anybody else feel me on that? You feel tired? Yeah, okay, yeah, good. Yeah, because I, I mean, I feel it. I feel it, and I'm sure that you feel it too. And it could be just from our daily routines or, or all the responsibilities that we carry. Um, and, and most of the times when we feel this, it's like, it seems like slowing down and stopping, actually taking rest, isn't really an option, right? Life still goes on. Kids still have to get places. We still have responsibilities. We have deadlines to meet. We have work projects to finish. All of these things don't stop for us. And I think one of the things, as we feel this, as we feel this sort of weariness and tiredness, one of the things that all humans universally crave is this sense of rest, this sort of relief from the hustle, and not just like, uh, there, there's like, I feel like there's two kinds of rests. There, there's a sort of superficial rest, and we'll kind of get into that. The superficial rest that's sort of, for a moment, I just am able to catch a breath and then right back in the grind. But I think what we really crave is a deep soul rest, right? Something that, that kind of takes us to another place, that even with all the chaos that's going on, that we still kind of are, are in a place of rest. And one of the greatest gifts that God gives his people is a day, a whole day, to experience that kind of rest. And and as we kind of dig into this, what I hope that you see is that the Sabbath is more than just a one-day rest event, okay? See, what God is doing or what he's trying to do in us here with this Sabbath day is to create in us a Sabbath heart, a heart that is at rest even when we are working, a heart that rests well, a heart that is able to find peace, a heart that longs for a truer, long, a truer, more real rest. And so this is what we're going to dig into this morning as we study the fourth commandment. We're going to look at the Sabbath day itself and what God gives us as the commandment, the fourth commandment, but we're also going to ask, how do I get a Sabbath heart in a hustle world? How do I get a heart that, that, that is always at rest, regardless of what I have going on? So that's where we're going today. If you want to open up your Bibles, um, we'll be in, a, in Exodus 20. Um, there are Bibles on the floor there. You can open your, up your Bible app. If you don't own a Bible, we want you to take one of these Bibles. That's our gift to you, um, so that you have a, a Bible. That you can do, have that for your personal devotions and study for yourself. Um, and so we'll be here in Exodus 20. And when you, when you look at Exodus 20, um, it's verses, fourth commandment is verses one through, or excuse me, verses eight through 11. What you see here is that this is by far the longest commandment that God has given his people. And why, why, why would the fourth commandment be so long? And here's my theory, is, is that the fourth commandment requires a thorough explanation, requires a thorough explanation, not just what to do, but how to do it and why we do it. And so what, that's what we're going to see here as we unpack this verse. So let's start with verse 8. He says, 
This is God speaking to his people. Okay, the context of this is happening. Uh, Moses is up on Mount Sinai. The people are gathered at the base of the mountain. And God has descended in thunder and lightning. It's this epic, grand display as God has sort of come down to be with his people. And he is delivering them this law in which they are to live in light of their freedom in which they've experienced from Egyptian slavery. And so this is what God continues to tell people with his fourth commandment. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, this is what God is telling, to, telling his people to do. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. To remember has a double meaning here. There's the basic sense of remember, which, which is to recall what they already know, okay? So if you think back to Exodus 16, if you remember what we've covered in Exodus 16, God's people were hungry out in the wilderness. They had no food. They had very limited water. And so Moses prays to God, and he asks God for food. And, and God delivers for them manna, this bread that falls from heaven. And each day, God does this. He provides for them their daily bread. Every day of the week, actually six days of the week, God does this. And then on the sixth day of the week, God provides a double, double portion so that they don't have to go out and collect this man on the seventh day. It's supposed to be a day of rest. In fact, when, when God is laying out this protocol for them in Exodus 16, God calls the seventh day of the week a solemn day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. See, so part one for the Israelites of remembering the Sabbath is actually remembering this day that the Lord has set apart for them for rest. But part two of remembering, it's more of a deeper nuanced way of remembering, is actually participating in the day. Not just recalling that, that this day is a Sabbath day, but actually participating. For example, this week on Tuesday was Valentine's Day, right? Celebrated Valentine's Day, the old Hallmark uh, holiday. And, um, and if you remembered Valentine's Day well, fellas... And I'm saying this sort of at a standard of your wife, your significant other. If you did a good job of remembering Valentine's Day, you did not only recall that the 14th was Valentine's Day, right? You actually did something about it. At least you got a card and wrote a heartfelt note. Maybe you got flowers, some chocolates, teddy bear, something. If you're really in the big leagues, you got her a gift of some sort, right? You actually participated in the holiday, and, and, and this same sort of mentality or the same sort of principle applies here in remembering the Sabbath, that you actually step into it. You actually participate in what the day has. See, we don't just say, oh, yeah, today's, we don't, today's the Sabbath, right? It's Sunday, okay. And then you don't, you don't just go on your way. The reality of the Sabbath and remembering what day that is, it, it alters your activities, Philip Ryken comments on this. He says, remembering the Sabbath involves more than just using our memories. It demands the total engagement of our whole person in service to God. See, this Sabbath day is a day that's set aside for us to enter into the service, the rest, and the worship of God. And this gets us to the how. How do we do this? How do we remember the Sabbath day and keep, us, keep it holy? And that's laid out in verses 9 and 10. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. 
Okay, first he's saying six days you shall work. The preface to the Sabbath day is six days of work. Abraham Heschel is a commentator on this passage, and he says, the duty of work for six days is just as much part of God's covenant with man as the duty to abstain from the work on the seventh day. What he's saying here is that our work for six days is important. It's an important part of being God's people, that we actually take on important, meaningful work, and we give ourselves to that work. Now, it doesn't mean that we work all day, every day, but it means that we allow God to govern our work days as well as our rest day. Just as God gave Adam and Eve meaningful work to do in the garden, and this is before sin, mind you, before sin entered the world in, in Genesis chapter 3, even up, up before that, God gave Adam and Eve work to do, told them to tend to the garden and take care of it, look after it, see to its flourishing. God gave them work to do. And so in a sense, we were made to work. But many people, depending on what line of work you're in, if, it, if you feel like this is your calling or maybe it's not, but, but we have a negative attitude about work. We see it as a necessary evil, something that's got to be done, something we've got to do to pay the bills. It's a means to an end. Or, or maybe some of us write it off as a product of the fall, right? Are we sure that, that work came after or before Genesis 3? Aren't you sure it came like maybe 3 or 4 or 5 when the fall, right? That's not the case. When we rightly understand work, we see it as a gift that God gives in order to bring us joy and God glory as we use our God-given gifts in a way that God has called us to use them. See, we certainly face resistance to this with the fall. Our, our work becomes hard. Right? Adam and Eve face this in the garden, right? Now there's insects that start eating their plants, and there's thorns on roses, and we, we face the same thing. There's relational struggle. There's difficulties in our work. But part of our responsibility to work is to lean into that, to work through those things, to, to rise to the challenge. And I really wanted to take some time to, to build out the importance of work and talk about, about how what we do is so significant and, and the way that we do it, it affects our worldview and how we see the world. Um, but I just don't have time to, to build all that out. And, and so if, if you are feeling like, man, does, does my work matter? Does what I do actually carry any sort of significance? I want, I want to point you in the direction uh, of some resources. Tim Keller has, over the last few years, put out some very, very good um, resources on work and what it means to be a Christian and to take pride in our work and to value what we do and see that what we do have meaning. He wrote a book called Every Good Endeavor, and he's been pumping out a lot of good content um, through the Gospel Coalition. So if that's where you're at, that would be a good place to go, but I don't have time to do that. But here's what we need to see so far in this commandment. That six days, we are to do good quality work, because if you don't work well, you don't rest well. If you don't work well, you don't rest well. And so God says, work hard for six days. And then on the seventh day, he tells us to do on, on verse 10. So six days, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. See, this is a day where you and everyone who is under your leadership, from your kids all the way down to your livestock, 
are to refrain from doing any work. It's a day where all commerce shuts down for God's people. So the first thing that we need to see here about the Sabbath day is that there's an absence of work. There's rest to be had. It is to refrain from any money-making activities. It's to, to give us a break from the grind, to give up the hustle for a day. It's a command for God's people to rest from their labor. Now, I think sometimes we get this confused, right? If the Sabbath day is a day for rest, it just means I'm going to hang out at home, maybe go out on a golf course, kick up my feet, do nothing all day. But that is a misunderstanding of the Lord's day and the Sabbath day. Sabbath day isn't a day where you just kick up your feet and do nothing. It's not a day where you just stay in bed all day. Because the kind of rest that God is calling us into is a more satisfying rest than just physical rest. Leviticus 23.3 is talking about the Sabbath day. And here it's called a holy convocation which means that this is a holy assembly, a a, a gathering that's meant to be sacred, to have a special purpose. And so we see that the Sabbath day is not just a day of rest, but it's really a day of worship as God's gathered people. It's really, in the truest way, a, a day of rest through worship. See, this is how we get to the deep soul rest that we're looking for. We experience this as we gather as God's people through, through song and liturgy, through the reading of the word, through the preaching of the gospel, through the sacraments. We do this with our church family. And I think that there is certainly a temptation to sort of shortcut this, right? It's this idea that I can sit on my couch and I can watch TBN or I can, Sacred City has, Davenport has a live stream where I could just stay on the couch and watch that all day long. Maybe not all day long, but at least, you know, watch it. And then I can lay low the rest of the day, right? See, there's so much less hassle. I don't have to pack up the kids. I don't have to get dressed. I don't have to shower. I can just plop down and do church on my couch. See, but when you do that, you aren't actually participating in worship. See, you are removed from the rest of the body trying to get rest in a superficial way. You're trying to rest without participating in worship. And when you do that, the rest that you do experience, it's a superficial kind of rest, right? Or maybe you just decide you want to bypass church things altogether, right? It's my day of rest. I'm going to go out on the golf course. I'm going to, I'm going to go on the river when it gets nicer, right? I'm going to stay home and watch Netflix and rest. I'm going to catch up on the projects that I have going on at my house, These are all ways to sort of bypass the true rest that God has intended for his people. See, this rest, while it might be entertaining, it might be a break from the normal grind, it is a superficial and unsatisfying rest because it doesn't get to the soul. Right? You can take a break from the weekly grind. You can, you can go out and do fun activities, You can take a vacation, but the end of it, you can still feel worn out. Your soul is still tired. 
because you've been okay with a superficial, unsatisfying kind of rest. See, the, the rest that you are longing for goes beyond catching up on sleep, goes beyond a mental break. What you need is a deep soul rest that only worship can lead you to. Mark Buchanan, he wrote a book called The Rest of God. It's a great book on the Sabbath and rest. I highly recommend it. He says, at the heart of worship is rest. It's a stopping from all work, all worry, all scheming, all fleeing, to stand amazed and thankful before God and his work. There can be no real worship without true rest. And I would say the reverse of that last statement is true, that there can be no real rest without true worship. See, this is what we do on the Sabbath. We stop from what we are doing and we look at God's work and we praise him for what he has done. We stop to marvel at the magnificent things that he has accomplished in the gospel for us. The Sabbath means we look to what God has done for the church, not just individually, but for the whole church, for the body. And to properly observe the Sabbath, it is to keep this weekly observant to participate in, in worship with your church family. And, and in doing so, what we do is we not only find a soul rest as individuals, but we find it together as a community. See, this is what it means to keep this day holy, that we set the Lord's day apart together. And we've covered the what of this commandment. It's to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. We went through the how, right? We, we, we do this by rest through worship. And now we're going to tackle the question of why. Why remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy? What makes this commandment so important? What's the big deal about it? And before we actually jump back to the text, I think we're all pretty smart people to kind of draw some conclusions as to why it's good for us to rest, right? We realize, I hope, that we're humans without limit, or with limitations, right? There's a certain threshold that we hit where we can't do anything beyond that. Physically, we run out. Emotionally, relationally, we run out. Spiritually, we run out. And so we need to rest and recharge, Right? We're not machines meant to work 24-7, 365. We physically need rest, and we even see this play out with our daily routines, right? At the end of the day, you spend six to eight, maybe 10 hours sleeping because your body needs sleep, and if you don't get it, things will not go well for you. And the same is true on the larger scale within our week, weekly rhythms, that we need a day of rest. And if you don't rest, I think, I think there's a lot of young people specifically who feel like, oh, I got all this energy. I'm getting on top of the world. I can do whatever I want. I can do whatever I stick my mind to. Not resting will ruin you. It'll make you tank physically. Your body will start shutting down. Emotionally, Spiritually, you will run out and you will fatigue. And relationally, it'll take a toll on every, every relationship that you have, right? We need rest in order to recharge. Okay, so there, there's obvious sort of looking at the surface level 
rest and why we rest. But this, this commandment goes beyond just general wisdom for people you know, who, who, are, who are God's people and those who are not yet God's people. Right? It's very practical. It's very helpful. Even animals benefit. Like if you, I mean, probably not a whole lot of us except for the corns have animals and livestock to worry about. But, uh, you know, our animals benefit from rest. Our family benefits from rest, right? There's a lot of common grace in rest. But I think we err when we start with a why, answering a why question that is man-centered rather than a question, than giving an answer that is God-centered. Because if you remember from previous weeks, the first four commandments deal with our duty toward God. The, the, the why to this commandment is God-centered. And I think as we look at it, we, we see two things. It's a twofold answer as to why it's important to observe the Sabbath. The first deals with creation, and the second why is because it, it makes us look at what God's work has accomplished in redemption. So let's take a look at verse 11 here. It'll unpack the creation part. It tells you, six days you labor, seventh day you rest, everybody in your household, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. See, we observe the Sabbath day because God did. He took six days to create the world and then one day of rest to stop and enjoy everything that he had created. So this shows us that we serve a working God. And so being made imago Dei, being made in the image of God, means that we are workers too. But it also means that God is a resting God. Right? Being made imago Dei means that we take part in God's rest as well. He doesn't rest out of necessity like we do. God is inexhaustible but he chooses to rest anyway and to enjoy what he has made. He enjoys his finished work. And so by observing the Sabbath, what we do is we imitate God, right? But there's some irony here. As Mark Buchanan says, we mimic God to remember that we aren't God. See, we mimic God to remember that we aren't God. Unlike God, we are limited, finite people who need Rest. God doesn't need rest. He's the uncreated creator. He goes on all day long, right? Even while we sleep, he's at work. So this reminds us, in observing the Sabbath, we mimic God to be reminded that we aren't God. But in addition to this, we also observe the Sabbath day because God blessed it and made it holy. That means he, he set it apart as a special day. And he did this back in Genesis uh, chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. He says, on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Right? God set the day aside as a special day, and he blessed it. Now, Philip Ryken, commenting on this, he says that this is, this is very significant because this is the first time that God has blessed anything. 
The first time in all of history, God blesses a Sabbath day so that we can enter into his rest. So the Sabbath day is important because God made it important. He made it a holy, special day, a day to stand out from the normal routines. And so he, he made it different and that it should be set apart for his purposes, for his rest and his worship. Right, so right here in the, the Ten Commandments, we see how that the Sabbath day points to God's work in creation and sort of how that unfolds in our daily lives and our di- weekly rhythms. But the Sabbath day also points to redemption. And this is how. When there's a passage in Deuteronomy 5 where God is giving the Ten Commandments again, or, or maybe I think it's Moses is recalling the Ten Commandments again, but this time, uh, this, the first part of the commandments is the same, Right? Work six days, rest on the seventh, God made it holy, keep the Sabbath day, remember it, same thing. But the reason for why is different here in Deuteronomy 5. He says this, this is his reason. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. See, what God is doing here, the why behind this reason is that God is reminding his people to look to his finished work of redemption. Look at what he had accomplished on their behalf in bringing them out of Egyptian slavery. It's not about their work, but it's about God's work. It's it's to get their eyes off of what they have been doing these six days and to look at what God has accomplished in the grand scheme of things. See, perhaps the most important thing about the fourth commandment is doing just that, getting our eyes off of what we do and putting our eyes on what God has done. See, God's telling them, remember this marvelous, powerful work that I have accomplished and rest in it. See, when we think about the context of this command and the story of Exodus specifically, all right, at this point, they're at Mount Sinai. God's on top of the mountain. He's, he's giving his people this commandment. He's already delivered them from Egyptian slavery. But where they were in Egypt, when they were under the oppression of Pharaoh, things were hard and rough for them. Pharaoh had, had his grip on them. There was no Sabbath rest for them. There was no break. It was work, work, work for God's people. And if you go back, and it's in Exodus 5, and you just trace all of the work language that Pharaoh has in speaking to, his, to God's people, the people who are his slaves, he's only concerned about how much work they get done. He's only concerned about their output. And we see that he, he just heaps work up upon them. At one point, he, he demands that they keep their quota, but now he makes it harder by saying, no, hey, you have to gather your own straw for bricks now, right? He's saying, more work, do more, do it better, do it faster. See, God's people lived in an economy that was based entirely on their output. It was based on, entirely, on what they could accomplish with their work. And so in that, their value, their, their worth came from how Pharaoh saw them and what they could accomplish and what they could build and what they could make. So they were treated, Pharaoh treated them in a way that communicated, if you aren't working at all times, 
you're useless to me. And so it's with this in the backdrop that God comes on the scene and he, he says, this is a commandment that I give you. Take the seventh day off from your labor. Now, I always, I always kind of giggle a little bit when people look at the Ten Commandments and say, oh man, the Ten Commandments are so restrictive, so oppressive, right? Ten things that God makes me do. God is asking us, he's commanding us to rest, Pharaoh doesn't offer that, right? Do you see the contrast between Pharaoh and God here? This is such a great commandment for Israel, right? It's so refreshing. It's liberating to them. See, for for God's people, the Sabbath isn't just a day to take a break. It is a day that redefines the human experience, Walter Brugman says, the Sabbath day is not simply the pause that refreshes, it is the pause that transforms. And what's being transformed here is the way that God's people find their value. It's no longer in what they accomplish, it's no longer what they achieve through their work. The the Sabbath day pushes back on that and says, no, 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 no. It's not about my output. See, My value, my worth has been wrapped up in what God has done. It's not about what I've accomplished. And because of this, because they see that their value is in what God has done and not in what they do, they are able to rest from their labor. And the crazy thing is, their value doesn't change. They're just as valued on the day that they work as they are on the day that they Sabbath and rest. See, and while we are thousands of years removed from the, Israel, the Israelites' experience with this, the Sabbath offers us the same sort of transformation. See, many of us are driving and dri- are, 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 ugh. many of us are bought into this work-driven mindset, right? That our value is based upon our output. In fact, this is one of the primary ways that culture ascribes value to someone is by looking at what they have accomplished and what they have done. Culture says you're successful, you're a valuable person in society if you have worked your tails off to reach the heights that no one else has reached yet. And it's not just for the the most successful or the the elite in our society. We buy into this too. We work long days. We put in extra hours just to show something for ourselves. We bring work home with us in the evening. We stop in to work on our days off. We bring our computer home with us to work from home on our day off. See, what plays into this this mindset is that we want to be valued. We want to prove our worth. We want to be valued by our boss, by our, our coworkers, our peers. We want to be valued and, and show that we have worth to our, our uh, professional colleagues. And so we treat work as if it makes us who we are, as if our work gives us our identity. And the scary part is that we get so used to this way of living that it actually seems normal for us. 
right? We don't even realize how intertwined our identity is with our work, that we can't even see ourselves as anything else if we stop working. So much so that when we hear hear this commandment, the fourth commandment, to take a Sabbath day, we get offended. See, there's there's no way that I can take a Sabbath day. I've got too much stuff to do, right? You don't even know how long my to-do list is. When Bill Gates was asked why he didn't believe in God, he said this, just in terms of time allocation, or just in terms of allocation of time resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on a Sunday morning. See, Bill Gates is just vocalizing a natural impulse that we are all, most of us are thinking, right? We can get ahead on Sunday morning. We can get ahead on Sunday. There's things that can be done. There's work to do. We can be catching up. We can be getting ahead, whatever it would be. But one of the most gracious ways that God confronts this work value mentality that we have, right, in finding our identity from our work, is by commanding us to Sabbath. By commanding us to Sabbath, God is confronting where you find your identity. He's saying, the Sabbath day is for you to rest from trying to prove yourself so that you can see that I have finished work for you. So what the Sabbath day does, this, the seventh day of the week does for us, it helps us cultivate a Sabbath heart that stays with us the rest of the week. So even when we're at work, our hearts are still at rest from trying to, to find our identity and trying to prove ourselves in what we do. And this rest is just as much physical as it is spiritual, or vice versa, just as spiritual as it is physical. Right? This is what it means to have a Sabbath heart. It's a heart that is so certain that Jesus has finished the work for you that you can rest at all times. It's a heart that says, sure, I have a lot of work to do. Right, There's still responsibilities that I have. But in fulfilling them, my identity is not going to change. It's a heart that rests and rejoices, not a heart that is anxious and stressing. See, to have a Sabbath heart means that we take Jesus' invitation. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 18, let me find it here, flip to it. This is his invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, to have a Sabbath heart means to take Jesus' invitation, to go to him, to rest in his finished work. Right? We look at his life, death, and resurrection, and we see that by going to the cross to forgive us our sins, that we are made new by Christ that we are made holy, we are made worthy, we are given a new identity as God's children. And now because of that 
work that Christ has done, we are holy and acceptable and pleasing to God. See, this is good news, friends, that we don't have to prove ourselves, not only to our boss or our friends or our coworkers, we don't have to struggle to prove ourselves to God. Jesus has done that work for us. So it's because of this finished work that we can rest, that we can look at what Jesus has done and rejoice, right? This is where worship comes out of. When we see what Jesus has done, our natural heart response is to worship. And in worship, we find rest, not just on Sundays, but every day of the week. See, what Jesus had accomplished for us is so profound, so transformational that we no longer observe the Sabbath on a Saturday like the Jews do. I I didn't mention that, right? For Jewish customs, Sunday is the first day of the week. Saturday would have been the seventh day of the week. And so for Jewish people, they still actually observe the Sabbath on Saturday. But what Jesus has done through his life, death, and resurrection, specifically in his resurrection and resurrecting on a Sunday, it changes the day that we worship. So now we worship on Sundays. B.B. Warfield explains it like this, that Christ took the Sabbath into the grave and brought the Lord's Day out of the grave with him on resurrection morn. Right? What Jesus did was so powerful and so profound that it changes the day that we Sabbath. Symbolically now, we observe the Sabbath on the first day of the week rather than the last day of the week, which means that we rest first and work out of our rest. We don't work to rest, we rest or we work out of our rest. See, the gospel gives us what we need to rest and it gives us what we need to work. And so on the Lord's day, we look back to the redemption that we have in Christ. We look back to his finished work, not our own. But the Sabbath day is also meant to make us look forward, right? This is when we come for worship, not only are we looking back to the redemption that Jesus has offered us, but we're looking forward too, right? What's going on here? There's gonna be a lot of this in heaven for eternity where we worship and sing, where we, where we go deeper and deeper into the, the, the mysteries of the gospel. And so there's a forward-looking aspect that there is here in the Sabbath as well. Puritan Thomas Watson said this, on the Lord's day, a Christian is in the altitudes. He walks with God and takes, as it were, a turn with him in heaven. Something transcendent is happening here. And so the Sabbath day points us forward to an eternity where we have a truer, deeper, forever rest. Hebrews 4, 3 tells us that there's a rest coming when Jesus comes back and he's gonna lead us into it. That's what we have to look forward to. Right now, the Sabbath is just a shadow of what's to come. It's a foretaste of what's to come. And so we, we also go to the Lord's table this morning as a foretaste of what's to come, where we will be dining with our Savior See, when we take the bread and wine today, it is a reminder that Jesus has finished all the work. 
And by taking it and consuming it and putting it in ourselves, we are taking part in this rest as well. So friends, I pray that the gospel would be good news to you that you don't have to perform you don't have to you don't have to prove yourself that Jesus Jesus has done it for you the work is complete and that in faith you would trust in that that you would cling to that so father i thank you for Christ and what he has done to finish that work for us I thank you that you offer us a day of rest, that you are not a slave master, you are not a taskmaster. you are a gracious Father who gives us a day to rest through worship. And I pray, Father, that our Sundays would be transformed by this. I pray that in, in honoring you and your Sabbath day, Father, that we would grow deeper and deeper into our identity as God's children that we would know what it, what it means to hold to our identities in Christ in a deeper, more profound way than we've ever experienced before. And I pray that in doing so, Father, you would lead us into the, the depths of rests, that we would indeed come to Jesus, all of us, all of us who labor and are heavy laden, and that we would find rest, that we would take the invitation of Jesus to take his yoke and to learn from him, for he is gentle and lowly in heart, and that we would find rest for souls. We thank you, Father, for rest. We thank you for what you've done in order to give us that rest. And we praise you in Jesus' name for all that you've done. Amen.